And I started thinking as I was coming over here, why is it that Joe Biden is the first in his family ever to go to a university? Why is it that my wife, who's sitting out there in the audience, is the first in her family to ever go to college? No, it's not because they weren't as smart. It's not because they didn't work as hard. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 55 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right. And we try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. You've heard me say it before. Don't worry about the polls. Don't stare at the polls. Understand the polls. And beware when people say something is happening when it's not, and then they point to a poll. In the case of the presidential election in 2024, I have reminded you repeatedly that national polls are meaningless, except to the extent that they say the national alignment is roughly 45-45 with 10% undecided. Because that is where we are as a country, and we've been here for quite some time. We also know that it's very hard to be an elected official in this country and not have high negatives, since you essentially start out with that 45% of the country hating you for almost everything you do from the moment you take office. I've also told you something that you also already know, and that is that this election will come down to a handful of people in a handful of states. And since we have seen these two exact candidates, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, just three years ago appear on these same ballots in these same states, there isn't a lot of reason to believe that suddenly any of those states will stop being swing states and start being either red or blue. And while things have not been very rosy in the United States of America under Joe Biden, his opponent has been in the news day after day after day for essentially doing things that make him a weaker candidate, not a stronger one. So my summary has remained the same. The polls are close, but of course they're close. Don't sweat it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am here to say today that one year away from Election Day, I'm officially sweating. The New York Times and Siena College went out and polled those six swing states that are the ones I've told you about. That they're the only ones that matter? Well, the results show unambiguously that Donald Trump is winning in five of those states. In Nevada, Trump leads by 10 points and importantly is over 50%. In Georgia, Trump leads 49 to 43, up six points. In Arizona, Trump leads 49-44, up five points. In Michigan, Trump leads there, 48 to 43, also up five points. And in Pennsylvania, Trump leads 48-44, that's up four points. The only state where Biden leads is the state I've devoted a whole podcast to, that's Wisconsin. Biden leads there, 47 to 44. Look, I get it. Things are not going to be great in the United States right now. Inflation rates are down, but the cost of living for many Americans is way, way higher than it was when Joe Biden took office. In that narrow sense, that classic political question, are you better off than you were four years ago or three years ago? It's a tough one for even many partisan Democrats to answer in the affirmative. All Democrats, although Democrats would argue that we are better off and that we still have a democracy, and if had Biden not won, we wouldn't even have that. But you get my point. Then there is this issue of immigration, which has Americans on both sides of the aisle displeased. But for swing voters who look for a general sense of the government being managed in a, composite, a, a kind of a competent way, it is easy to see that Joe Biden and the Democrats are being blamed for the Republican-created chaos at our southern border. And internationally, 
even as an overwhelming majority of Americans support the way the United States and Joe Biden have led in the wars in Ukraine and the Middle East, these issues are not seen as positive developments that might bolster an incumbent president. As lame and superficial as the argument is, Donald Trump has been able to correctly brag that neither of these big international conflicts were going on under his watch. But the stunning part of these polls is the corrosive effect of the age thing. In 2020, 34% of respondents in this same poll said that they thought that Joe Biden was too old to be president. Today, that number is 71%. And fair or not, just 18% of the respondents in 2020 thought that Donald Trump was too old to be president. And that number is doubled, sure, but it's still only 39%. Let me say that again. Two candidates, both old, 71% say Joe Biden is too old, 39% say Donald Trump is. Now, drilling a little more into the same issue, in 2020, back in the last election, 45% of respondents in this, again, this same poll, thought Joe Biden did not have what they called the mental sharpness to be president. Today, that number is 62%. Donald Trump, on the other hand, listen to this, 48% he didn't, said he didn't have the mental sharpness in 2020. And now today, that, President, President Trump's number is actually down to 44%. Now, in last week's episode, I looked at the many voters who thought that both of these cats are too old. Who would they vote for? They overwhelmingly chose Biden. But this poll shows that many people think Joe is old and Donald Trump isn't. Based on that finding, that given the choice between the two candidates that they think are too old, the simple chore for Biden, some people say, is the calling attention to indications that Trump is too old himself. I make a bit of this argument in last week's episode when I played some of the gaffes that Donald Trump has committed just in recent weeks. A miscalculation that I made and perhaps some of Biden's campaign re-election has made is that they expected Trump's primary opponents to spend more time and money on TV making these anti-Trump arguments. But instead, they've largely treated Trump uh, gently. Others like David Leonhardt of the New York Times seemingly advocating for ignoring the elephant in the room he says the polls will improve if we just wait for that anti-MAGA majority to wake up and realize that a great deal is at stake in this election. He also suggests that the anti-Roe voters that dominated the midterm elections, that they'll come home when this issue continues to be on the ballot in 2024. And it's gotten even more oxygen because of a new Speaker of the House who is extremely extreme on the issue of choice. Leinhardt also somewhat glibly says, Biden should just address the issue of inflation and immigration and take those issues off the, off the agenda. And then the numbers will flip back into the incumbent's favor. But the fourth suggestion he makes is what I summarize as the act younger suggestion. Show President Biden being vigorous, bike riding perhaps, or topless on a horse while hunting with a crossbow or something like that. Or maybe doing the Ronald Reagan thing of chopping wood. I think the problem is much deeper than many of Joe Biden's supporters want to believe. This is more than a photo op that's going to be solving this. When confronted with this issue of age, invariably they pivot to the accomplishments of the administration. Oh yeah, they said, would an old guy be able to have such a robust legislative achievement list? If he's so old, how was he able to put together this very excellent international coalition to stand up to Putin? And of course you remember his all-day train ride to the war zone in Ukraine, something no other president had ever done, travel to an active war zone. 
But then some of, of uh, some can do the whole "my old man is can beat up your old man" argument. Joe Biden may get tongue-tied from time to time, they say, but Donald Trump sounds legitimately crazy when he compliments Hezbollah, can't pronounce Hamas, believes he's running against Barack Obama, or tells his audience that we're on the verge of World War II. Look, these arguments are satisfying, no doubt, but the poll this week shows that, for now at least, age is an issue holding back Biden, but not necessarily Donald Trump. An important caveat here is that no one's spending big bucks to amplify Donald Trump's many missteps right now. His primary opponents, as I said, have been handling him with kid gloves and certainly not advertising heavily about his weaknesses. Under the conditions of a campaign, and maybe many, many months before, the airwaves will be full in swing states with paid ads amplifying every gaffe that Donald Trump makes. In other words, Donald Trump's negatives could be higher than they already are. But what worries me is that voters are reacting to is not an age per se, but an important disability that has been getting steadily worse with Joe Biden. He can't talk forcefully. The clip I played at the top of the program was Joe Biden as a senator in 1988. If there was one line on Joe Biden for his decades in the United States Senate, it was that he was a gifted speaker. Not that he didn't make mistakes. In fact, that speech that I played eventually led him to having to leave the presidential race that year because the language was barred heavily from a British politician and include biographical references that weren't, well, biographical at all. But I play it to demonstrate that Joe Biden no longer sounds like that guy. His voice is weak, raspy, and just not forceful. The result is that even the most excellent set of words seem to reinforce the idea that the person saying them is a bit tired. Here's an example. When Israel was attacked, Biden quickly made a short, pitch-perfect statement of support for Israel. It was an excellent speech, in my opinion, and it was declarative, unambiguous, and it was widely praised by even his opponents. But if you or someone who are concerned about Joe Biden's age or on the lookout for signs that Joe Biden had lost a little something, that speech reinforced your concerns, notwithstanding the nice words. This, in a nutshell, is why my, is why my opinion is that age has gotten worse with his voice and not better. There are many elements of aging that can slow down a president. Perhaps they had trouble walking or even needed to use a wheelchair. In many cases and circumstances, you can hide things like that. It's not easy, but you don't have to go far back as FDR to see it's possible. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas governs from a wheelchair. He, like FDR before him, does many events behind a desk. Even the cognitive problems can be solved or papered over with a rigorous adherence to a script. I'm sure that if Donald Trump stuck to the teleprompter, 90% of the mistakes he's made wouldn't happen. Ronald Reagan famous hid his true cognitive decline. He actually had that by just reading everything as it was written. But Joe Biden's problem is the timber of his voice. It may sound unkind to say this obvious thing, but even the most forceful statement on paper sounds fairly weak coming out of his mouth. And this is a tough problem to solve. We've never had a president so old, he's the oldest, that his voice faded. One thing is for sure, not speaking is not an option for the president of the United States. All of the solutions to the bad polling has, that was suggested by the New York Times columnist David Leonhardt requires Joe Biden being forceful and articulate advocate for his side. If you want the MAGA majority to speak up, you have to exhort them to do so. 
If you want to make the argument that a woman's right to choose is on the ballot this year, you have to make that case in your own voice, literally, forcefully. And if you want to take credit for your accomplishments and deride your opponents for their inaction on issues, like immigration, for example, there's no substitute for barnstorming the country, pounding the lectern, and making your case. And all the bike rides in the world and all the horseback rides in the world only carry you so far if you can't talk about them. The crux of the incumbent's advantage is his ability to get attention for everything that he does. When the president gives a speech, everyone shows up. When he walks into an ice cream parlor in Iowa, the visual is nice, but it's the small talk or the off-the-cuff remark that gets the attention. It's simply not an option to have the president not speaking very much. So I think both sides are wrong in their critique about Joe Biden and his age. My friends on 77 WABC Radio say that he's incoherent or mentally addled. They're wrong. And so are my friends who support Joe Biden and say that the issue is contrived or unfair or can be rebutted with a list of accomplishments. In my view, what voters are responding to is a visceral sense for how their president should sound. A different age for sure. Obviously no TVs around, but there's nothing in FDR's voice that made him seem disabled in the least. I think you know what I mean. But let's take a listen. This is Joe Biden in 1988 again. This is from a speech he gave during the Democratic primaries. Take a listen. And I started thinking as I was coming over here, why is it that Joe Biden is the first in his family ever to go to a university? Why is it that my wife who's sitting out there in the audience is the first in her family to ever go to college? No, it's not because they weren't as smart. It's not because they didn't work as hard. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. Next, this is Joe Biden in 2008 as a candidate for vice president speaking at the Democratic Convention. Hear how this sounds. Millions of Americans have been knocked down. And this is a time as Americans together, we get back up, back up together. Our debt, our debt to our parents and our grandparents is too great. Our obligation to our children is too sacred. These are extraordinary times. This is an extraordinary election. The American people are ready. I am ready. Barack is ready. This is his time. This is our time. This is America's time. God bless America and may God protect our troops. Now, more recently, as a candidate just three years ago on the debate stage during the Democratic primaries, of 2020. Take a listen. I'm still holding on to that torch. I want to make it clear to you. Look, the fact of the matter is what we have to do is make sure that everybody is prepared better to go on to educate for an education. The fact is that that's why I propose us focusing on schools that are in distress. That's why I think we should triple the amount of money we spend for Title I schools. That's why I think we should have universal pre-K. That's why I think every single person who graduates from high school, 65 out of 100 now, need something beyond high school. And we should provide for them to be able to get that education. That's why there should be free community college, cutting in half the cost of college. That's why we should be in a position where we do not have anyone have to pay back a student debt. When they get out, they're making less than $25,000 a year. Their debt is frozen, no interest payment until they get beyond that. So here is the contrast. Now, this next one is Joe Biden speaking at a press availability in Kiev, where he had just landed as the only president in history to visit an active war zone without the support or protection of the U.S. military. Listen to this cut. I'm here to show our unwavering support for the nation's independence 
your sovereignty and, uh, and territorial integrity. Okay, let's stipulate to a few things here. Yes, everyone who gets old loses their vocal strength some. No, it doesn't probably have any impact on his actual ability to do his actual job. And yes, the way you speak as president is supposed to be different than when you're campaigning as it is when you're in office or even sitting at a news briefing in Kiev. But let me pause on that last one for a bit because this may be something that the president and his handlers can do. One instinct may be to keep the president away from microphones altogether. But is that a practical way to be president? Even a Rose Garden strategy means you do presidential stuff in the Rose Garden. But maybe the key to giving the president voice is to let him go into circumstances where his be, he can be loudest and most comfortable projecting in front of big audiences. Make him yell. I am sure he will do a fair amount of that next year during the campaign, but maybe the key to his polling now is to let him do more of it. Get him barnstorming, taking the fight to his opponents. Will there be more gaffes? Sure. But also more looking vigorous and saying words forcefully. So to recap, Joe Biden is unpopular because voters think he is old. But the polls may be revealing not that he is acting old, but rather he is just sounding old. So instead of keeping him away from things that make him trip and away from microphones where he might say gaffy things, maybe take my advice. Give him an audience and let him rip. And we'll be right back with Ask Anthony Anything. Welcome back to Ask Anthony Anything. A couple of follow-ups from the episodes of the last few weeks. Last week, I made the case for lifting the ban on broadcasting federal trials in the case of Donald Trump. In particular, I expressed support for a petition filed by a coalition of broadcasters who made the argument that this case is exceptionally important and that there is a constitutional right for trials to be public and that this one should, should require more than just a bigger room. But since we're all technically victims of this crime, we should be able to see it on TV. I focused on the idea that the judge didn't dismiss the idea out of hand, and she asked for briefs from the Trump team who had publicly said they supported the idea. Two listeners wrote to complain that my explanation left the impression that Trump's view on the issue was dispositive in this matter. Len from Great Neck, yes, Leonard of Great Necks, like the catering hall, he wrote, quote, Trump may want it, but he doesn't get to decide, close quote. And another listener wrote, do the prosecutors want it televised? I should have fleshed out both points and more, and they, uh, and more as they collided this week when Jack Smith's office filed a brief opposing the televising of the trial. They made the argument that the Rule 53 of the Judicial Conference I talked about last week is not something that the judge can waive even if they want to, and that the arguments that this was an unconstitutional abridgment of the Sixth Amendment requiring public trials was premature since arrangements for accommodating the public had not been even announced. Technicality. I stand by my podcast brief in this matter and continue to hope that Trump follows through on what his lawyer said on TV and they open the TV to cameras. A second issue I got a lot of mail about were the two episodes I did about the history and geography of Israel and her neighbors. There was a fair amount of finally you got something right emails and a handful of what the hell is wrong with you emails appropriate for this issue. One note from Natalie and what she said was so flaw, which I guess is Southern Florida, was, was that I was downplaying the role of Iran, quote, in her words, because Democrats have been funding Iran for decades. First, shut up with that already. Democrats have not funded Iran. But there is something interesting in the news on the Iran front, more specifically on the Hezbollah front. 
Perhaps the biggest outstanding and consequential uh, question about the war in Gaza is whether it would spread to the West Bank in the form of a third intifada or uprising, or in the North in the form of an attack from Lebanon of Hezbollah. I noted that blaming Iran for the Hamas attacks of October 7th might be wrong since Hezbollah, an organization much more in control of Iran than Hamas, had not participated in the attacks and had mostly held its fire. This week we heard from Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah. The summary of what he said was that he didn't declare another war against Israel. Only time will bring the truest interpretation of his speech, but he said some version of all options are on the table, and he implied that the final word on Hezbollah's action would be the war in Gaza and how, that, how Israel um, in, interacts with Lebanon in their north. Essentially, he's going to cool his jets. One interesting claim that he made in this speech that I thought was interesting, that he says that the Israelis that were killed by Hamas were in fact killed by IDF crossfire, which is the only way that uh, I guess it really explains that even Hamas's brutality can't be explained without making up some crazy story about it. For now, at least, Iran seems to be staying on the sidelines, and they seem to have gotten the message that they are uh, on thin ice and should not get involved. But let's see how long that holds. If you'd like to ask me questions about an episode or suggest an idea or just clap back at something that you've heard, I can be reached a few different places, wienerwabc at gmail.com, at Rep Wiener on Twitter X. Um, it's Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook, and I think that's also my address on Threads. You can also always tune in to the radio show on Saturday from 2 to 4. It's called The Middle. That comes out as a podcast also if you haven't already subscribed. And if you like what you've heard here, feel free to share this episode. That's the way people find out and get a chance to subscribe. I really do appreciate all your support. And this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged. <laughs>